This is episode 47 of the Angry Tech News Podcast for Tuesday, February 7th, 2022. This is the Angry Tech News Podcast at angrytechnews.com. Now your host, the angry programmer with a mic, Ryan Bemrose. Greetings, everyone. It's Tuesday again. That means another angry tech news for at least as long as I can keep my current motivation up. This is two weeks in a row already this year, the second episode. So um, eh, good enough. It also is happens to be Reboot Tuesday. Uh, If you are one of those victims of Microsoft software, then today is the day that your system will reboot whether you want it to or not. You can put it off, I guess, for a day or two, but really Microsoft doesn't like that sort of thing, and it's their computer, not yours. But not for me. This is the first Reboot Tuesday that Windows 8 has no updates. And so I'm still looking to move to Linux now that my system has finally become so useful that I don't have the company trying to reboot me all the time. Anyway. Today uh, happens to be a show for callbacks, I've noticed. Uh, There's quite a few stories today that uh, are, we covered this story or similar on uh, previous shows, so I'm just going to have to uh, call that back. The one that really got my attention was when uh, a producer, uh, Srinivas Murti, who produces Grumpy Old Benz, I don't know if he ever listens to Angry Tech News, but if you do, hi, thanks, pointed out that the Apple crash detection is added again. Uh, crash detection, if you recall, is the bit in the Apple Watch or iPhone that detects if the sh- phone shakes violently and decides that you are have been in a car crash. And it gives you a really quick alert on your wrist saying, hey, are you okay? Are you okay? Please respond. Please respond. And if you don't respond within 20 seconds, it dials 911 on your behalf or 999 or whatever your emergency code is. Anytime somebody shakes their pocket too hard, this can happen. A lot of people have complained that it's too sensitive, that their wrist of it. You know what? If you have an Apple watch, you deserve to be getting spurious notifications all the damn time. You brought this on yourself. Anyway, this particular one was at a ski resort. Um, people rolling down uh, the the heavy mogul black diamond runs, or uh, if, if you ski the way I do, you uh, take a tumble at least every run, go head over heels. Done that a few times. Uh, if you don't happen to hear your phone or watch blowing up within 20 seconds, like for example, say you're outside, you're bundled up, you're completely covered in heavy ski gear, and you're way too busy having fun to be a slave to your devices, then it will helpfully place an emergency call on your behalf. And people in the cities, uh, what was this one? Telluride, I think, uh, ski resort towns in Colorado have, uh, started complaining that Apple watches are doing this a lot. Anyway, I bring this up because you might remember that the same feature did exactly the same thing on amusement park rides. For that story, check out Angry Tech News number 42. From the Underhouse Arrest Department, let's go ahead and really start with the biggest story that, of course, dropped last Tuesday while I was doing last week's episode. Netflix, the company which for years has been bullish on password sharing as a means to make customers happy and facilitate subscriber growth, is continuing the death spiral that I predicted on ATN number 37 by cracking down on password sharing. 
Uh, they Netflix has been making a pretty rocky transition from a growth company to a mature company. And in Silicon Valley, that always follows a, a pretty standard curve. Uh, they've hit market saturation, which means that for the most part, they can't, as a publicly traded company, they can't just make Wall Street targets anymore by bringing on more customers, the standard way that Silicon Valley works. Netflix management clearly believes that they're done inventing and done coming up with new creative stuff. So they have transitioned to what a mature company does in this situation. They are nickeling and diming customers to squeeze every last cent out of the customers they have before their customer base inevitably dries up. And if if companies at this stage of their progression are any indication, it's going to take them years and years so they can squeeze a lot of revenue out of you before you finally get fed up and cancel. Specifically, Netflix updated support page last week, last Tuesday, with details about how they plan to put an end to password sharing. The company estimates that over 100 million people worldwide watch Netflix on someone else's account. The Statista estimates that there are only 231 million worldwide subscribers in 2022. So by that means that Netflix is saying that more than 40% of their users are evil password stealing pirates, I guess. I am skeptical of that number, but I'm pretty sure it's pretty high that the company, I mean, for years, the company has been saying things like, uh, you know, we love if you share passwords because it means that you'll watch our stuff and our stuff is what draws you in. Clearly, they know that their stuff isn't drawing you in. So what are these new rules? Uh, Well, okay, so this is a definitive yes from a streamable article on January 31st, which was last Tuesday. However, there, there's been a lot of backtracking since I'll come up with that. Anyway, here's the new rules. You can only share an account within your household. Now, uh, Netflix will block access to anyone who tries to sign in to your home at a different address. Uh, the, the, anybody who tries to sign in or on your account from somewhere other than your household will be prompted to pay for their own account and their device will be blocked from the service. If they try to do it too many times, um, the, they also will helpfully offer you the chance to export your profile to the new account that you're going to start paying for so that you don't mess up Netflix's tracking protocol or screw up the massive data profile that they have on you. Um, you are, uh, let's see, they say signing in from outside of your home may lead to the device being blocked from the service. Uh, if you travel, you can request a temporary code from Netflix so that within seven days you can use that device to travel. If you requested the code from your home first, um, you also will be required to sign in from your quote home Wi-Fi at least once a month, but doing so makes any device that you signed in from home Wi-Fi to be trusted, which will keep them from being automatically blocked. And finally, if your device does happen to get blocked by their algo AI, I guess, I guess AI is the new word for algo. We can't call them algos anymore. If, if Netflix's AI blocks your device, you have to contact customer support and get a human to try to help you. Good luck. Um, Netflix has also adjusted the number of simultaneous streams. Actually, this might be the way it was before. Um, your, if you have the $10 a month tier or the ad tier, which isn't even mentioned worth mentioning. Um, you can have one simul- one stream period. Uh, you can have two if you pay $16 a month and you can have four if you pay $20 a month. Okay, fine. Well, this feature is currently in testing uh, in Latin America. Um, they are currently doing it in, in Peru, uh, 
Costa Rica and uh, my notes are screwed up. They, some Latin America places, they have rolled this out, but Netflix insists that they have not rolled it out and don't have any plans to roll it out. We, we don't believe that. Um, another feature they are currently testing in Latin America. You'll love this one when it comes to the U S when not if they will automatically charge $3 to your monthly bill. If it detects a connection to your account outside of your home. Okay. So all of these things that they're detecting really hinge on what is a household. And that's the part where things get real sticky from my perspective. I mean, other than I really kind of hate policies regardless, but Netflix has a page which defines what a household is, but that page as of right now is currently blank. So they don't really tell you what your household is. They only know that they're going to enforce it on you. Um, there is at least one report that says that you set your primary location by logging in to a television um, as opposed to smart device. I suppose I'm not sure what they mean by a television is that a smart TV, a Roku does a game console count. Um, I personally use a computer monitor for all of my watching because we, you know, I, I have a TV downstairs in the cold room that I don't watch. I don't even go down there in the winter. Why would anyone it's cold, but I, I also stopped using my Xbox. So I, anyway, um, lots of people don't have a TV. So, and just use a mobile. In fact, um, and by the way, all of those people who are only using Netflix on the mobile, I guess you can't log in on a television, but more importantly, if you're only using a mobile and you know, I, I should get into optometry. I'd love to be your eye doctor in 40 years. Anyway, uh, the only thing we can get from the company themselves is Netflix uses information such as IP addresses, device IDs, and account activity to determine whether a device signed into your account is connected at your primary location, meaning they're doing geolocation. Uh, people who then uh, are screwed, people have multiple homes, people who take their devices out of the house, people who watch on cellular and not through their home Wi-Fi. People who watch in someone else's Wi-Fi say you're watching Netflix on Starbucks. You're watching on a plane. Uh, the King County Metro around here, the buses have free Wi-Fi on every bus. I used to watch Netflix on that on my device because even buses get stuck in traffic. It takes forever. You can watch a full hour long show in the time it takes to commute to Redmond. Uh, or people like me who use more than one ISP in our house. That. Hasn't been mentioned anywhere, not in any of the articles, not in Netflix. No, IP is not a location. And I guarantee you that when this all comes to America, US, I'm going to get extra screwed as they say, well, you're locking in from two locations simultaneously. Yeah, yeah. The front office and the back bedroom. Congratulations. They're different ISPs, you douches. IP is not a location. Anyway, all of this was posted to the company page without a company announcement. Um, they're, they claim that the page was updated in error, that these rules don't apply to U.S. or Canada customers, and they really didn't mean it. They have no plans at all to bring this. This is a lot like when, when PayPal, a couple months ago, decided to announce that they were going to charge people for what they say on social media, and then got a lot of backlash and said, no, no, we didn't mean it. We never meant to. Yeah, we, I believe you exactly as much. So. Everything I just said might be totally bogus if you believe the company. Netflix certainly wants you to think so. But like I said, these rules are now in oh, Chile, Costa Rica, and Peru. Is at a different point in my notes? I have too many notes. Now, maybe Netflix didn't mean to publish it, or maybe it was a trial balloon to see how people would react. The page was taken down after the company felt the sting of internet outrage over the new rules. But as usual, the internet never forgets, which is why I'm able to do this article for you. Anyway, 
the best conclusion on this story I got, uh, I, I, I'm going to swipe this from Carl Bode of TechDirt because I like this one. He said, angering your customers and making them more likely to shift to competitors that don't try to nickel and dime users isn't a particularly brilliant business plan anyway you slice it. From the nickels and dimes and $100 bills department, Car maker BMW took some heat last month when they released a subscription plan wherein you promise to pay them every month you own the car, and in return, they send a signal once over their cell network to turn on a feature that is already in the software. If you stop paying them, they'll send another signal to turn the feature back off, which to me sounds a lot like more like extortion than subscription, but what do I know? In the face of widespread outrage over this clearly customer-hostile move, BMW responded by adding even more features to their subscription offering. Remote engine start, drive recorder, Apple CarPlay, traffic camera, driving assistance plus with stop and go, and parking assistant professional are now features in the software of your car that you have to pay monthly for in order for them to turn it on. Uh, in, <laughs> in slightly less nefarious but no less ridiculous news, some BMW owners are also learning that... Uh, for your safety, the cars seem to be refusing to take over the over-the-air software updates if you happen to live on the side of a hill. Okay, not actually what's going on, but what <laughs> what was discovered, and again, separate story. BMW has tilt sensors. They have lots of sensors. It's a smartphone on wheels. Um, they have determined for safety that the vehicle will not start an update if your vehicle is on an incline. Now, personally, I consider this to be a feature. I would find an incline and always park my car there. No updates. But a lot of people are now complaining, saying I can't get updates because I live on the side of a hill. There's no level ground anywhere. Um, if you really want this, there should be a manual override to say, yeah, I chalked the wheels or something like that. But at this point, the only option that BMW is offering is to drive to a level parking lot and then wait there the hour or two while it does the update. Maybe do some shopping or something. I don't know. So BMW is clearly all in on Silicon Valley dark patterns when they write the software for their smartphones with wheels. They are betting that you'll put up with it. And frankly, that's probably true because there aren't that many people who really own BMWs outright. Most of them already lease them, which is a subscription for the whole car. How different is it to just pay us an extra subscription, another $10 here, $30 here, 100 bucks here. It all adds up. But if you own a BMW, you only care about status and not cost anyway, right? Anyway, um, soon everything will be subscription anyway. Tires, steering wheel. You want an engine? That'll be extra per month for a company destroying the right of first sale. This gets me annoyed. Anyway, I guess what I'm saying is if you don't want this kind of treatment, don't buy a BMW. If if BMW is just a status symbol for you and you really desperately need the brand because it reflects your personality and you cannot properly express yourself on the road without driving a car, just go buy an Audi and remove the indicator lever or something. From the end of the virtual world as we know it department. If you happen to be a World of Warcraft player, you might have noticed a disturbance in the force last week as the tunes of millions of Chinese gamers cried out and then went silent. And for those of you who don't happen to be World of Warcraft players, you probably don't care. Go skip to the next story. The shutdown follows months of contract negotiations between Blizzard, the publisher of and, and developer of World of Warcraft, as well as games like Hearthstone and Diablo 3, and NetEase, their local partner in China for the last 14 years. 
When I was reading this story, I learned something interesting that I probably should have figured. China does not let Western companies sell video games in China. The government just straight says you can't do it. So if you're going to run a video game in China, you have to partner with a Chinese company or you're not allowed to set up shop at all. The partner that Blizzard has had for 14 years is one called NetEase. Um, they could not come to an agreement. Uh, so pissing match between large corporations and it's the users that get screwed. Let me know when this dance sounds familiar. Blizzard is now reportedly searching for another Chinese partner, but for now the servers are dark. Millions of Chinese gamers are stumbling outside for the first time, blinking through the fog of severe withdrawal. If this goes on for too long, those gamers might be lost to Blizzard forever, as one by one they discover the existence of other video games, or God forbid, they start interacting with other nearby humans. <laughs> From the Robot Revolution Department, some Internet of Things stories today, because it's hard to imagine how humans performed the most basic of household chores before every appliance had a Wi-Fi connection. The first one concerns security. Steven Van Ruij, I, I, I am apologize if I screw to every Dutch person for screwing that name up. I know I did, but I'm going to say it wrong over and over again. He is a software architect from the Netherlands. He noticed via his pie hole that random outbound pings were happening from his house to google.com, baidu.cn, and yandex.ru. Now, this is a person in the Netherlands who should be using google.nl for his searches, but instead, uh, it's pinging search engines in the United States, China, and Russia. He learned from the pie hole that they were coming from two smart appliances uh, in his house, an oven and a microwave from AEG, who... Uh, they serve brand name Electrolux. Uh, the device software on these appliances wants to know every five minutes if it's connected to the internet. And rather than ping AEG's API, it pings a search engine in the US, China, or Russia. Now, he called up AEG support. They have absolutely no clue what he's talking about. And why would they know anything about the software their company packages? I don't know if the developers even know all of this. But anyway. Now, suppose you don't want to use the smart parts of your oven. Well, then this is this is my favorite part of this story. The device becomes annoyware. Uh, I'm quoting from Roy's blog. Every time we close the damn thing, it asks, do you want to activate remote connectivity? If you don't respond, it does nothing, as in it's disabled again. But after three or four of these questions upon closing the oven, you start hating that message and don't press it again resulting in your smart appliance being a smart ass appliance. Ridge identifies three use cases for a smart oven. I'm not convinced these are, but he says uh, the use cases are if you want to preheat the oven to be ready, if you're out and say picking something up from the store, uh, if you want to preheat your oven when you get up so that you can bake something fresh buns or something when you first wake up. And as he points out, uh, you happen to have had to say yes the last time you closed the oven before either of these features would even remotely work. Uh, my concern is even bigger, and that is um, I'm not sure that I trust having my kitchen appliances create uh, immense amounts of heat while I'm away from home. Does the word fire hazard mean anything? Probably an unfounded concern, but I'm perfectly okay with waiting. I am that kind of person. Uh, the third use case that he calls out is receiving app notifications when the timer finishes, which how big is this house anyway? Everywhere in my house is OK. I'm not a wealthy person. My house is not exactly a mansion, 
but I can hear my oven when the timer beeps. Is this, is this a problem that people have? Do people really need smartphones to tell them when their oven has beeped? Anyway, we last mentioned AEG smart microwaves on angry tech news 27 when they screwed up an over the air firmware update and their microwave ovens were bricked because the ovens got the firmware for a steam oven, which created an appliance with an identity crisis. Um, this one at least asks if you want to enable the smart features, um, which I guess is better than most smart devices, which will do things like try to enable it, whether you want to or not, there's no control. And if you don't give it the Wi-Fi password, it'll just try to connect to any open Wi-Fi it can find guest pass networks, neighbors, networks, uh, you know, the local city buses driving by. Anyway, the next IOT story concerns a story, a device that everybody must have in their kitchen, or at least everybody who occasionally cooks enough fresh vegetables for a medium sized squirrel and wants to virtue signal. Mill is a smart garbage can from one of the people who brought you nest. The goal is to quote, keep food out of landfills and quote, send it back to farms. According to the page for the mill device, the rule of thumb is that if it comes off your cutting board, you can add it to the mill kitchen bin. Fruits, vegetables, meats and fish, rinds, peels, pits, dairy, eggs. Hold on. Who bins eggs in this economy? That seems like a terrible waste of anyway. Chicken, fish, other small bones, food soiled paper towels and napkins. Now, I looked at this device. Um, the first thing I noticed is that the actual compartment that you put stuff in is tiny. It's maybe six inches by 10 inches by eight inches deep. Uh, they say it holds 11 liters. Uh, I'm skeptical from the pictures, but they might not have been good pictures and that you can generate about 1.5 pounds of kitchen scraps a day. Again, I feel like this thing is going to get clogged up, but you dump your food scraps into this bin and the can will automatically dry out and compact whatever you put in every night. Then it uses a charcoal filter to remove the odor and make your kitchen smell minty fresh, I guess, or whatever. Uh, when the bin gets full, you seal it up and you send it in a prepaid return box, which they say will eventually be made into food for chickens, food for chicken. Okay. For food for chickens. They're going to, they're, they're creating a device that compacts garbage, takes, takes compost garbage, compacts it, dries it out. So it won't compost. And they say food for chickens. It, does this scale? Not even, where do they think they're going to sell this? They just, and, oh, by the way, they just said you can put chicken bones in it. You're going to, where are they going to find these incredibly unhealthy cannibal chickens that survive on nothing but food scraps? Anyway. Okay. Also on the website, they are currently working through the scientific and regulatory processes to establish a safe and nutritious chicken feed ingredient that they can distribute commercially. They don't have any idea. They have no idea what to do with this stuff. They, they hope that they can come up with a scientific and regulatory safe chicken, chicken feed. And they don't even know what they're doing. What are they doing? Storing it? You know, I bet they're probably landfilling it when people are sending these packages in. And anyway, other features it has, of course, it has Wi-Fi connectivity. Um, it has a mill companion app because everything has an app. Uh, the only thing I can tell that the app actually helps you do uh, other than it, it has a, a wiki in the app, which tells you what you can compost, I guess, because you can't, nobody's ever used a composting guide. Um, it tells you what you can do, but the only functional thing that the app can do is schedule box pickups, because I guess a phone call or an email would be far too pedestrian for somebody who buys one of these. 
Anyway, for all of this privilege, you can pay the low, low price of $75 plus $400 a year or $33 a month, they say, which is twice the cost of Netflix in case anyone's counting. Lastly, some good IoT news. Well, good for consumers, I suppose, not so much for device makers. The Wall Street Journal reported, although I got this from Ars Technica because paywall, that more than 50% of owners of smart appliances, uh, at least the Whirlpool and LG appliances, do not connect their device to the internet. The issue, according to manufacturers, <laughs> I'm going to swipe this one from Ars Technica, I like this one. The issue, according to manufacturers, is that customers just don't know all the things that a manufacturer can do if users connect the device that spins their clothes or keeps their food cold. Things like providing manufacturers with data and insights about how customers are using their products or allowing companies to send over-the-air updates and sell relevant replacement parts or subscription services. Uh, a quote from a Whirlpool uh, spokesman said, uh, the challenge is that a consumer just doesn't see the true value that manufacturers see in terms of how that data can help them in the long run. So they don't really care for spending time to just connect it. Yeah, most of us don't want this. We just want a fridge or a washer or a dishwasher. or We just want an appliance. Most people want an appliance, believe it or not, don't need another damn smartphone in their kitchen that is constantly pestering them for updates and sending pings to Russia and China. And oh, my, it's so tone deaf, these companies. Whirlpool also pointed out that uh, they recently acquired a recipe management company called Yumly. And one of the features that they offer in their smart oven now fully integrated into the latest models, which uh, is recipe management integration from the app. I guess that means tap here to preheat the oven so that you don't have to enter the, the heat. Uh, just uh, what, what options are there on an oven that you need anyway? Um, LG also noted that they sell more water filters when their fridge is allowed to nag people. What a surprise there. Anyway, the, uh, the same person from Whirlpool speculated that actually people aren't turning away intentionally. They just forget or they just sometimes change their Wi-Fi password and forget to tell all their appliances about the new password. And that's the only reason that people aren't connecting. It could have nothing to do with the vague, confusing or unconscionable privacy policies, the even worse security practices, the fact that a company has a breach every five minutes leaking all of this data you're collecting to the dark web. Um, you know, the fact that LG happened to get in trouble 10 years ago when their smart TVs were uploading unencrypted everything that passed through it, every channel you watch, when you watch the uh, user profiles you entered, um, the file names on any USB stick you put in there, it would just unencrypted, send it across the internet for, um, oh, actually they admitted that they collected the data, but they said, don't worry, it wasn't personal. It's only used for targeted ads. Yeah. Well, looking this up, I did run down a side rabbit hole that entertained me a bit. A story, a 2018 story about Roombas uploading images to the cloud of people sitting on toilets. Need I say more? From the updates to see if you need updates department. Finally, a quick reboot Tuesday note. Microsoft is pushing out knowledge base no KB 5021751 to all Windows 7 or all Windows PCs that have Office 2007 or Office 2010. Does this patch some horrible security hole? Is it a must have new feature for the old software? No, 
The update's description says that it's taking telemetry. Quote, this update will run one time silently without installing anything on the user's device for the purpose of determining who is still running older versions of Office. They want to know how many people are happy with the older, downloadable, installable versions of Office so they can figure out how to push those people to the new subscription model with new features nobody needs and a price tag you pay every single month. It doesn't say what data all is being collected or how they intend to use it, only that whatever data is being sent to Microsoft, uh, you're, it's going to be sent and you're really going to be okay with it because you have automatic supply chain attacks turned on. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I mean automatic updates turned on. Big corporation prerogative, I suppose, whatever. If you don't want the update and haven't already downloaded it because unfortunately today is Reboot Tuesday, then the update can be hidden in the Windows Update. No restart is needed for this update, Microsoft notes, so I guess there's that. Anyway, angry thanks go out to Raymond Zorger, Eric Rankin, and Sharky for having donated in the last seven days. I'm sure you didn't mean to, it was just set on automatic, but they did come in since the last episode. Angry Tech News is produced on the Value for Value model. We don't take sponsors, we don't play ads, and we do not charge you to listen, but we are funded by your donations. So. If you received some value from listening to this show, please send some money or value back. Go to angrytechnews.com and click the donate button. Send whatever you think this episode was worth to you, even if it's only the cost of a BMW subscription feature. That's it for now. I'm Ryan Bemrose, the angry programmer with a mic. I'll be back next time with more Angry Tech News. This has been Angry Tech News with the angry programmer, Ryan Bemrose at angrytechnews.com Stay angry Stay angry Stay angry